All right, everyone, can you turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1? Thank you, Bert. Thank you for Mary. Great job as always. And uh, as we normally do before the, we pray for the, uh, the message in the second session, but also pray for the offering as well. So uh, with that in mind, let's, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's, uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your almighty word here today. Thank you for everyone here, uh, and again, that you brought into this chapel today. I just, uh, we just like to uh, present this offering, this love gift to you, and we know that all that we have has been given to us is trust, and uh, the time, talent, and treasure and truth that you've given to us, and so now we'd like to express our love and appreciation and gratitude toward you for what you've done for us in the past and doing for us now to be both your Son and the Spirit, and what you'll do for us in the future. And I just pray, Father, that uh, it would be acceptable to you, and I just thank you for the people who you've raised up, who are good stewards with their, their uh, treasure, and that it uh, consider it important to, uh, to support financially a doctoral ministry. We just thank you, Father, for them. And also, I pray, Father, for this message. I just pray that... Uh, Ultimately, you would be glorified through the message that it would be provide for your people the necessary spiritual nourishment. Your word says that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth, Father. And so you've given me the task to communicate your word to your people. And uh, I consider it, again, very important and an honor and a privilege to communicate your word truth to your people who you purchased with the blood of your son at Calvary 2,000 years ago. So, Father, I pray through the Spirit you'd help me to deliver the message in a fashion that uh, is ministers to your people and ultimately brings glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. And again, please break down any barriers that sin and Satan would put up that would hinder that from happening. I pray the message would become metabolized and be a part of our lives and a lifestyle, shaping and forming our lifestyle and, uh, and our thoughts and our words and our actions, Father. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. In the second session, we're going to begin a study of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, and um, we're going to finish it off next uh, Sunday. And uh, so we see here in, in, the, set, in, in the, the beginning of verse 2, Habakkuk 3, 2, uh, Habakkuk tells, uh, tells us in Scripture that he heard of God's fame and stood in awe of his deeds. So we're going to uh, find out where did he hear these deeds and stood in awe of his deeds. Where are his deeds? Where did he hear about them? So we're going to be looking at that here in the second session. So as we've been doing, and uh, we do this for every passage that we work on, is try to study the passage in its, uh, in its context. So let's read the entire chapter. Uh, a lot of us probably haven't, I mean, unless you're doing it on your own, which is a good idea, uh, reading this book, it's only three chapters long, so we'll get, as we read it, we'll, it's, uh, it'll uh, help us to get familiar with it, because it's not a, really a book that many people have studied or, or worked on. So, again, we're going to do this because we want to interpret the verse, verse 2, in its proper context. So, it says in Habakkuk 3, 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigoanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. 
His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. And look, he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow and called for many arrows, Salah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep sword roared, excuse me, and lifted its waves on high. Verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Salah. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses and churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. The translation of verses 1 and 2 of mine, of these two verses, the prophet Habakkuk's prayer in accordance with Shigonoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Lord, I stand in awe of your accomplishments. Please, would you cause them to be experienced during our lifetime? Please, would you cause them to be known during our lifetime? Please, would you remember to exercise compassion during our lifetime while exercising righteous indignation? As we noted in our study of Habakkuk 3.1, this verse contains the superscription of the prophet Habakkuk's great prayer he offered up to the Lord God of Israel on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah, which, as we saw in the first session, he directed to be sung in the temple as part of the worship of the Lord God of Israel. Now, this verse also marks a transition to the fifth major section of the book of Habakkuk, as we pointed out, and which appears in chapter 3. And it can be divided into five sections, as we pointed out in the first session. The first contains the superscription here in Habakkuk 3.1, while the second is in Habakkuk 3.2, which contains the Lord's, uh, the prophet's petition to the Lord. Then we have the third in verses 3-7, through seven, which presents a theophany. And then in verses 8-15, through 15, we have the record of the Lord's exploits as a warrior. Now, when we look at next, uh, in the second session next Sunday, we're going to be looking at uh, the inter- interpretations. There's a couple interpretations of chapter, uh, the, the, this warrior song, we call it, uh, in verses 8 through 15, chapter 3, really, verses 3 through the uh, uh, 15, we see that there's different interpretations. Some people look at it as something that's done in the past, and some see it, see it as future, and some see a little bit of both. So we're going to talk about that and why, and determine what's the correct interpretation and why. So that'll be in the second session next Sunday. Because it's very important because uh, if you think it's just something that's taken place in the past, then where am I getting 
this whole thing that it's a prophecy of the, uh, the tribulation period and the second advent of Christ. So I'm going to show you uh, the different views and then uh, give you my view of, of, of the passage. It does allude to certain things that have taken place in the past, Old Testament history, but it's primarily a prophecy of the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, and the second advent of Christ. So well, we have then the, the fifth and final section is verses 16 through 19, which records Habakkuk's response of faith to the revelation he received from the Lord, which is recorded in this book that bears his name. So, uh, so we see here that uh, we noted, also noted, in our study of verse 1, that the word uh, shigayon in the Hebrew is a type of musical notation indicating the arrangement or the style of the music to be performed accompanying, or, uh, or we could say, Habakkuk's prayer recorded in verses 2 through 19. Now, the style of music, as we also pointed out, is unknown and lost to history. However, we also pointed out that the contents of verses 2 through 19 indicate that Habakkuk's prayer contains intercession for the faithful remnant of Judah, worship of the Lord in the form of a vision of the Lord, being victorious in battle with his enemies, and also an expression of, the, of Habakkuk's faith, the prophet's faith in the Lord in verses 16 through 19. We also noted that the word uh, shigayon is the object of the preposition al in the Hebrew. And that preposition means in accordance with because it functions as a marker of norm. That means this, prepositional, this preposition is actually indicating the standard or the norm to which something is compared and with which it is to be judged in accordance with. So this prepositional phrase is, uh, indicates that this noun or this preposition uh, al is indicating that the noun shigayon uh, is the musical standard or norm to which Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord is compared, and with which this prayer is judged to be in accordance with. So consequently, this prepositional phrase indicates that Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord, requesting that he would be merciful to the faithful remnant of Judah while he disciplines the apostate citizens in his nation, was to be in accordance with a, a style or arrangement of music called Shiganoth. So, in other words, Shiganoth, was to be in the musical standard or norm to which Habakkuk offered this prayer to the Lord. So therefore, verses 2 through 19 of this chapter appears to be a prayer offered up to the Lord God of Israel by, by Habakkuk on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah at the end of the 7th century B.C., which was to be set to music. Thus, this prayer was a psalm or lyrics, we could say, for music and which music has been lost to history. In other words, Habakkuk 3.1 marks the contents of verses 2 through 19 as a psalm slash prayer. And the latter is a prayer of Habakkuk, which uh, the prophet directed to be uh, set to a particular style of music, musical arrangement, which again has been lost to history. So in fact, verse 2 serves as the refrain, as we pointed out in the first session, to this psalm or song, which would uh, be sung after verses 8 and 15. So the chorus is verse 2. And it goes after verses 8, and we'd go after verse 15. So Habakkuk 3.2 we come to now. It contains, two, it contains two declarative statements, which are followed by three prayer requests. And you notice in my translation I use the word please. Uh, remember, it's, a, it's an imperative of what we call request. So therefore, we would be saying please. And this is the thing... Uh, studying the original languages really helped me in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek, in the uh, New Testament, and Hebrew Old Testament. There's what we call an imperative request. So when, you're, you, the, when the, uh, someone is praying to God, okay, it's an imperative request because you're requesting things. In other words, it's please. 
You know, you're not saying, God, give me this. Well, there are times you can say, and I've done this with God, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is your word, blah, blah, blah. And that happens. It depends on what the situation. But usually, if I'm offering up a prayer request to God, I'm saying, please. And because he's God. And we, as we saw in the first session, we'll see in this chapter, we must have reverence and awe of God. We're in his presence. And uh, yes, is he our best friend? Is he our savior? Yes. But he's all in our heavenly father. Yes. Uh, but uh, there is a certain respect that we must have at all times for our God. So uh, you'll see in my, in my translation of Habakkuk 3.2, I have the word please before each of these requests because I'm bringing out the, the, uh, the, uh, the, what the expression is all about in imperative requests. It's a please, will you please do this? So that's what I have, why I have it in my translation. Now, the first two statements that start off the verse, in verse 2, the first of these statements solemnly asserts that Habakkuk has heard of the Lord's fame. How he heard of the Lord's fame is not explicitly mentioned here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, however, it would appear that he heard it from the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. So he looked at the Old Testament scriptures, unlike a lot of people today, uh, as uh, historically ac accurate. And uh, this brings out something about the New Testament as well. The Old Testament documents and the, and the New Testament documents are historically reliable. Just for 2,000 years, they've been attacking the New Testament. They're historically reliable, and therefore, uh, that's why we can be sure that we have about what we have about Jesus and the record of him and the record of God's exploits in the Old Testament. Uh, we have all of that. We can be sure that they're actually... Uh, historically reliable documents because there's nothing ever in history that any scholar has ever come up with that has proven the Bible is historically inaccurate. It's just not, they make accusations, but they've been proven wrong over and over again. And so we, 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 we could do a study on that someday. But we can look at these documents as historically reliable. And so uh, this is, it's up to the, the, the burden of proof is on, on the opponents of the Bible that like to wage war against the Bible in our country. So uh, we see here that the second declarative statement here in Habakkuk 3.2 asserts that Habakkuk stood in awe of the Lord's accomplishments in history, which speaks of the manifestation of the Lord's omnipotence in history on behalf of the nation of Israel. So this second statement is expressing the idea of the prophet Habakkuk possessing profound reverence and respect for the Lord's deeds in the past on behalf of Israel, even bordering on fear as the result of hearing and reading about these accomplishments or manifestations of his omnipotence in the Old Testament. Brings back to what I said before. When we read and listen to the Word of God, study the Word of God, there should be a profound reverence and respect for what you're reading or hearing as it's being taught. Because we're talking about the exploits of our God. And listen to me, you too, you, me, we are the beneficiaries of God's omnipotence. You know, let's, take, let's go back to the Old Testament. And this is what he's alluding to, Habakkuk, with the Exodus generation and those plagues that he'd struck Egypt with. Egypt was the superpower of the world, and God brought that nation to its knees. He basically destroyed it with these plagues. And the last of those plagues were the firstborn being killed. Okay? No one has ever seen anything in history like that, and nobody will ever see anything like it again. So we have a, a nation brought to its knees, and that was God using his omnipotence. When he delivered them at the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and his army, it was God using his omnipotence, okay? And nobody else's volition was involved. But think about this. 
you and I, who like it says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 15, us Gentile believers, we were not in a covenant relationship with God, okay, like the Jewish people are. The Jewish people, are, uh, they have certain privileges that Paul enumerates, the Old Testament scriptures, John, uh, Romans 3, and then you got Romans 9, 4 through 5. He talks about the privileges of the Jewish people. So the Jewish, wing, uh, the, uh, Jewish Christian today, church age believer, he, he, prior to him trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, he was actually a part of a covenant relationship with God. And now, through faith in Jesus Christ, us Gentiles are united to Jewish believers. Not only were we reconciled with God, but we were also reconciled with Jews. Because Jews in the first century and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. They didn't go in each other's home. I'm getting to a point here is this. The power of God has been manifested in the life of the Christian. The same power that was exercised in the Old Testament for Israel at the, at the Red Sea and striking that nation of Egypt with those plagues was, was demonstrated on behalf of us at the moment of our justification. In other words, you're a walking miracle. You looking for miracles in your life? Look at yourself. I look at myself and I go, look back at your past. I look at my past when I was 19 years old and if you could show me into the future what I would be doing at 62, I would say, you're out of your mind. Are you kidding me? There you are at 62, Bill. And you probably say something similar to what I said. I, pff, 62 on a Sunday morning, I'd be, I'd be at a church, standing before a pulpit, teaching the word of God to people. you kidding me? That's God's power. Look at your lives. You can say the same thing, and you could probably have better stories than I could have. The power of God has been manifested in your life. That should be awe-inspiring to you, that God would take you, us, you and I as sinners, and through his omnipotence, he raised us up and seated us with Christ. Far above all, all the angels, and we're at the right hand of the Father. That's omnipotence that we benefited from at the moment of our justification. And remember, Paul said to Timothy, we, have a, we should have a lifestyle, not of fear and timidity, 2 Timothy 1.7, but of, of power. A lifestyle of power is the Christian way of life. It's a supernatural way of life that demands a supernatural means of execution. So um, Habakkuk's looking back at the power of God in his, in, in the, on behalf of his people in the Old Testament as it's recorded in the Old Testament. And you and I could do this. You and I could look back at the exploits of God in our own lives, at our justification, with he's exercising his power, saving us from his wrath through his power. His power was manifested in human weakness. He was crucified in weakness, but raised in power, okay? Our lifestyle, when we're weak, we're strong, Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When we're weak, we're strong. God's power is manifested in our human weakness. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, you know, about he, he, his, his ambition in life was to know the Lord experientially and the fellowship of his sufferings, that he might attain to the resurrection. Not the rapture, because the, the rapture is, would be a passive voice. The rapture is only God's will is involved. He's talking about the active voice of the verb there in, in Philippians 3.11 means that the, the believer, he, Paul, is performing the action of attaining to the resurrection. What does he mean? Experiencing his identification with Christ in his resurrection. So when you experience the death of Christ in your life through undeserved suffering, then God's power is manifested in your weakness. can't tell you how many times when you think that all is lost, when I thought all the, the how is it? And God comes through in amazing ways. Tremendous exercise of power to blow my mind. I remember my first, my first church plant. 
They, it was from 2001 to 2010. There was a big, uh, there was a, I, I, I had a deal with my deacons about something, and they basically told them, they conspired against me, little did I know, and they threw me out of the church. They locked the building. So you gotta remember, pastors don't pay uh, into unemployment, you know. You're, you're up the creek without a paddle. So uh, I might have had like $20 to my name. I don't know what I had. And, I was, and so I'm thrown out in the street, okay? Thrown out in the street, and where am I gonna do? I said, well, I was like, I have to go back to Massachusetts. I don't know what I'm gonna do. So, then I'm like, then I, I was talking to Titus and Jody, and they said, "Why don't you just stay here and teach in our house?" Are you kidding me? So we talked and talked and talked. So now, how are we going to do this? Because we, you know, all the stuff it was in the church. That, you know, some of the stuff we just left and, and went on. So basically, we're out without nothing. Okay, you know, how are we going to record? How are we going to do this? Blah blah blah. Well, next thing, I don't even know where these people. Some of these people come. I got like thousands of dollars being sent to us. How did they know about this? I didn't announce that we're having a church split. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Nobody knew. Well, it got back somehow, probably Tyson Jody. But I mean, what I'm saying is that all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're, we're keep run, we keep going. We never missed a beat. And we were back teaching in his house, recording and everything. And that's God's power. He manifested in my personal life. I thought all was lost. It was a terrible feeling. It's an awful feeling. You can't get any low. When you're weak, you're strong. See, that's when God's able to come in. He'll do it in your life. When you think it's all, all is lost and nothing can, be, uh, nothing can be done, that's when God comes through. That's what Paul, he boasted in his weaknesses. I'm saying all this because Paul, and back it's talking about the Old Testament power of God. It's still here today. The same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament is our God who ex exercises omnipotence with us at our justification in saving us and uniting us with his son and making us a part of the new creation, the new humanity. So we are a walking miracle. In fact, I'm more impressed with what God has done to, for each one of us because part, than the Red Sea. Because the parting of the Red Sea, only God's volition is involved. Hey, be still and watch the power of the Lord, right? <laughs> Boom. What do they do? They just sat there, right? I suppose they did. A, that was a little bit of a volition, a little session to sit there and not do nothing, right? But you and I, we had to make the decision. As, and there's another thing. We're spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit talked to us and made us understand what the gospel is about and the implications, despite the fact that you're a wicked sinner and under the wrath of God, God so loves you that he sent his one and only son to the cross for you that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. And even though you're dead in your sins and transgressions, I will raise you up and seated me, seated you with my son Jesus Christ. When you, even though, despite the fact that you were spiritually dead, that's power that he did that. How weak were we? We're spiritually dead. We can't do any. How, can, you go to a graveyard today. Can a graveyard? Can people in the graveyard do anything for themselves? They're dead. They can't do nothing anymore. That's about as weak as you can get, right? That's when the power of God comes into your life. And that power is more impressive when it's exercised in relation to another person's volition. Because it was a greater miracle to save us and place us in union with Christ. Us Gentiles who are far away to the Jews, and now we're united to Jewish believers as part of the new humanity. That was more impressive than the Red Sea parting. So God has had great exploits in our lives, personally, okay? In the lives of the church. So, a little application and a little uh, see, uh, um, connection here. So, if we go through something as Christians in our nation, 
in the next couple of years, okay? And our na we face a national crisis. We don't, we, we, we don't really need to have to worry about, we, we can look back to the Old Testament and look at the power of God and, and look at the prayer that Habakkuk made for his people and himself in his day and age in the midst of a, the Babylonian invasions. We can make a certain application as well and we can look at how God did, what did Christ did for us, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit did for us when we were dead in our sins and transgressions in their enemy and under their wrath. We saw the power manifested in our justification, our, our conversion. So what does that mean? Well, if no matter how bad it gets, if God sent his son to the cross when I was his enemy, now that I'm his child, isn't he going to freely give me all things? Romans 8.32, John 5, uh, Romans 5.6-8. Yes! So this is how application of the word of God is made. When you're going through crisis, you got to think. Emotion will not do it. Don't crack the bottle open. The worst thing you could do is get all depressed because the alcohol is a depressant and you, or take some drugs or go any kind of sublimation that you think is going to solve your problem. No, go to the Word of God. Use your brain. Use, your, use the Word of God. Think it's power. The Word of God is alive and powerful. What are you freaking out? Oh, I don't know how to handle this. Pass the bill. It's like, oh gosh, if you were in Bible class, you'd be able to handle it by now. No, you're going to watch Netflix all night. When you could be listening to the Word of God. No, that, the Word of God, you got to think it. Put it into application. I, I, I think I told you this story too. The, um, in Massachusetts, before I came here. So my mother has this, you know, she, she comes out down with this dementia, right? So I, we, I, we're kind of anticipating it could have probably happened to her. All of her brothers and sisters had it. Except for the oldest one. Lived at 90-something. So she's the youngest of nine kids. So she saw them all die the slow death, as she called it. And she's dying the slow death. So I remember I'd come back from Iowa to visit summer at Christmas. And it was about a, two, a, couple, a year or two before she got diagnosed. And then when she got diagnosed, she'd always say, oh, you think you're ever going to leave Iowa and come back? And I said, I don't know, my, you better pray for that. Because I don't know. I, I had no idea. I, I had a feeling I'd go back. So she goes... Well, your room's upstairs. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to have 50-something years late, late 50s. I'm going to move in with my parents. Are you crazy? I was saying to myself, no, ma. And I know, the, I know the guy you're living with, the pack rat, who's got junk. My father's this kind of guy. I love my father. And if you ever met him, you'll say, now I know why you're whacked out, Bill. Okay, so the fruit doesn't fight. He got these, he, you, know, the, you know, things of water you got, okay? The bottles of water, and you get them in the plastic wrap, right? They're stacked up. My poor mother, no wonder she got dementia. She probably went crazy from So it's stacked up on top of it. I said, Ted, why do we need to get water? We go shopping. I said, what do you need to get water? You get, you get, you've cornered the market of water in, in Massachusetts. I'm a survivalist, Bill. A survivalist? Let me get this straight. You're 80-something years old. I know he's got an arsenal up in, the, in, the, in, a, in a safe up there. He's got, you can see his weapons. He's got, my gosh. And it's like, oh, so you at 84. You're going to get down with your arthritic back and everything in a military stance, and you're going to shoot these people that come through the door and take your water? They're going to shoot you and run out the door without the water, for crying out loud. What are you doing? You have no chance. You might as well just relax, Dad. But the house is just packed up with stuff. So this is the kind of guy I'm dealing with, okay? So I get a demented mother, and I get a father who's a little bit uh, touched, okay? Again, I love my father. I'm just saying this so you get the picture, okay? So I'm, I'm on the heels of Iowa. One of the, ki one of the kids I love, I, I knew since he was a little kid, 
Titus and Jody's son, you know, I taught in their home for nine years. I knew him back even further than that. He commits suicide. I mean, I got to deal with that. I, they pick me up, and I have my friend, and I got, I'm, I'm, I got, I'm thinking about him, and I'm thinking about them. And then I got two more friends I know committed suicide within six months of that. So it's like, and then I got to keep the ministry going. Like, how am I going to keep the ministry going? My biggest givers and I were all gone. They left. So how am I going to keep this going? Never fear. When you're weak, we're strong. God's power is manifest in your human weakness. I, I was just like, uh, and then Christmas, I got a bunch of money came in so I could go. But when I got to Massachusetts about Christmas time, I was like, man, the money, you know, it goes quick when you're paying quarterly taxes and all that stuff. Next thing I know, I'm going, how am I going, Lord, do I have to get another job? So I was like, hey, look it. I said, I'm not telling you what to do, God, but I'm going to go and start looking for a job. I mean, you can bring in the money if you want, but I'm going to start looking for a second job. So, well, that week, Titus calls me up. He goes, Bill, somebody just put you in their will. You're getting $5,000. Are you kidding me? And then another person, they, people writing me letters, some of the Holy Spirit's telling me to send you something. That's what I'm telling you. God can make anything happen he, when he wants to. His power is manifested in human weakness. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm bringing these up so you, you, and you probably have the same thing in your own life. That's what he does. That's what he does. He loves doing that. When it all seems lost, that's what he does. So I'm sitting there, and I, would, I was so bad in Massachusetts. I was like, you know, my, there are many times my mother, people who have dementia in your family or Alzheimer's, there were times when she would be like 36 hours straight or longer where she just wouldn't shut off. She'd be up all night. I said, Dad, I'll sleep with her. I'll stay. So I got to get up the next morning. So I, she might fall a couple hours sleep. So I can maybe get a couple hours. But I had one eye open the whole time. So it even took me when I got here. To, I'm like, I'm like, I got one eye open half the time. I, I learned to decompress when I got here. It's like well, I don't have to deal with this anymore. And but I, got, I was like, what am I? I was under so much pressure. I, every area of my life, I was like. But I remember driving. I would drive around the car. I get a. I go to Starbucks and get a. One of those honey citrus mint tea. I love those. Don't 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 drink those processed foods, the drinks. Get the honey citrus mint tea, organic. So I'm driving around and I'm talking to God, and I'm giving I you know I was giving myself advice that I would give to anybody, one of you, if you were going through what I was going through or something similar or worse. Talking myself through it. I mention all this because I just said to you five minutes ago, before I started the story. You gotta learn to think, not emote, okay? So I could have come home with my father saying, hey, I got a six pack here, no, or I get a bottle of scotch, and I'm gonna go put that one away so I can forget about my troubles. Oh, that would be good, Bill. Your liver would thank you, and your father would go, my, father, my son's an alcoholic. No, take the word of God that you talk to people about, and you tell them about Jesus, and do something about it. Put it into practice in your own life and give people an example. Say, this is how it works. And people of the world, they don't have what you and I have. And how sad we're the Christian. This Christian doesn't use what they have, which is God's power. You have a relationship with Almighty God. You're in union with Christ. I'll keep burying that into your head so you get it. You're united to him, inextricably tied He's the head, you're the member of his body. He's the bridegroom, you're the bride. How much more did God want to tell you us how close we are? 
And that power is in his word. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any ever two-edged sword. The Machaira in the Greek. Two-edged sword. The Romans dominated the world for a thousand years. They come up against the Germans with those rompias. Big sword on, cut on one side. Well, the Romans are going, bam, 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 you're dead. The Germans get bigger than them, and those little five-foot-seven Roman guys, they would right there, and it's all, the, the technology was better. They beat them. That's what he's talking about. And he was 412, that sword. And that's the same sword. The sword is the spirit, is the word of God. Ephesians, right? 617. The word of God. Hey, you might be saying, oh, he remembers those, I hear people say, he remembers those quotes all the time. You know why? Because that's all I re- do my whole adult life is, pray, is listen to the, study the word of God. I should remember those things. You know why it's good to, rem- uh, to, uh, to memorize some of these things? Because when you're under stress, you remember your training, okay? You train in the Word of God, learn Scripture, quote Scripture to yourself, whatever it takes, so you can bring glory to you in suffering. And then you can rejoice in your sufferings, knowing that the power of God is being manifested in my life and the angels are looking down at you and me and saying, there's an invisible hero. Sarah, Ruth, Kirk, Victoria, Henry, all of you. They see that. Well, they don't look like much to the world. They're, they're nobody. Who are these people? Okay? But the angels know who you are and I. When we put into practice God's word, which is alive and powerful, we're showing that his grace is sufficient. His love, I know he loves me. No matter how much he beats the living daylights out of me, I say this to God, so no matter how many, I said this to messages many times, like, I don't care, you beat the living daylights out of me, God, I'm still going to love you. The Satan can go and say, well, we, well, let's put this, let's do this to him, let's do this to him. I bet you if he does this, he's going to do this. He's going to say, uh, curse you to his face, like in Job. That's exactly what the enemy does. Don't think he doesn't do that, he does. And especially in doctrinal ministries, ministries that are actually serious about not playing church, yeah, you're an object of attack. They don't worry about the people down at the, you know, with 6,000 people and they're stupid, Jesus, Jesus, and, and signs and wonders and speaking in tongues, you know, and grabbing the snakes or whatever they're doing down here, all right? That's not, they laugh at that. They're, they're, they're afraid of you and me when we take seriously our relationship with God and put into practice God's word and just in the great adversities of life, the strife that we're going through, when everything seems like it's falling down around you, and you look like, what's going on? God's doing a mighty work in your life. He's manifesting his power. So I say all that, because Habakkuk's saying, I'm going to look back at what you did in the Old Testament. I remember what you did in the Old Testament. Well, you know what? You and I could say, I remember what you did to manage it for my justification. I remember what you've done for me. You freely you will give me all things. When I was your enemy, you loved me. Don't you see? That will get you through the hard stuff in life. That's going to get you hard, through the hard stuff. Not the booze and the alcohol, not MTV or Netflix or whatever. Whatever your sports, it can't take you through the tough stuff. Hey, when somebody you love dies... That's not, you know, when somebody commits suicide, you are totally taken by surprise. What, what how are you going to do it? How are you going to handle that? All that stuff is not going to help you. The world will give you. The only thing that will really truly help you is the word of God. Because the word of God is truth. It tells you reality. That's what truth is. 
Warren Wisby. He's an old man now. I think he's still alive, too. Warren Wisby, a great teacher. I recommend his, his commentary on the Old Testament, New Testament. It's really dirt cheap. You can pick it up dirt cheap at, at Amazon. It's not even $100, I think, both of them. He says the following. He says, many people have the idea that it's always an enjoyable experience uh, to getting to know God in a deeper way. But that's not what the saints of God in the Bible would say. Moses trembled at Mount Sinai when God gave the law. Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, as did David. And then he says, David became, Daniel became exhausted and ill after seeing the visions God gave him. The, the vision of Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration left Peter, James, and John face down on the ground and filled with terror. And when John saw the glorified Christ, he fell at his feet as though dead. So coming in contact with the, the living God is an awe-inspiring experience. And it goes back to what I said before. You and I can get to know God in ways that are awe-inspiring that nobody else can understand unless they go through trials and tribulations. Look at Paul. Who knew the Lord better than Paul? Why? Because he suffered more than anybody else. Not a popular message in Christianity. Don't tell me about suffering. Tell me my life is going to be a highway. No, I won't. I'm going to tell you the truth. No, it won't. In fact, if you're really serious, the fire is going to be turned up a little bit more on you. And don't you think that Satan is not vicious? You're not dealing with a guy in a pitchfork in a little cute little suit. Okay? You're dealing with somebody who's trying to destroy you. I saw him tear up a family and have a child, a 21-year-old kid, committed suicide because he got at that family. He doesn't take, he's no quarter. And he took that kid out. He's a casualty in the angelic conflict. He's saved. He's going to be with the Lord. I'm going to see him at the Bama seat. I'm going to see him. I'm going to smack him in the face. What the heck were you doing? The Lord's already taken care of him. All his answers, he'll get all the answers now. He's with the Lord. I don't need to worry about that, him. I need to worry about me. I need to worry about you. Because you're my flock. Okay? So you can know the power of God and know God in a way that you could never know him if he gave you everything as a highway. Don't you see he's trying to get you to see who he is and the best things about God are when things are going lousy, when things are falling apart. That's when you could see God's power manifested in trials and tribulations and weakness. And the world's, you know, even Job's day, when Job was going through what he was going through, his friends, like many people today, would say, well, you must have been disobedient to God. That's why you're getting your butt kicked. That's why your family got killed. And that's why this happened, that happened, the other thing happened to you. And that's exactly what they were telling him, his, his wonderful friends. Oh, it had to be something you did. It says right from the beginning of the book, it was, Joe was faithful to God. He would even do sacrifices for his children in case his children had sinned or cursed God in somehow. He was very conscientious about his relationship with God. No, he happened to be someone who was pleasing to God. And what did he do to his, someone he ple was pleasing to him? He put him through the fire. Paul he put him through the fire. Our Lord himself went through the greatest fire. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you're asking me, Father, not this, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What's he, what he's talking about? The cup of God's wrath. I got to drink the cup of God's wrath. Meaning, basically, I got to suffer health for these people who hate me. He's got to be abandoned 
from his heavenly father, those last three hours on the cross, the loss of fellowship. The Trinity is not broken up or the hypostatic union. It's the fellowship between the father and the son. In fact, he offered himself up to the eternal spirit. He was 914. So he knows what we go through. In fact, he's worse. He suffered worse than we ever could. He's the eternal son of God. And he was asked to suffer, suffer the loss of his fellowship with his heavenly father for us so he might save us wicked sinners from his wrath and suffer the crucifixion, all the consequences of our sin he had to experience. He was truly abandoned. You and I will never be a truly abandoned. So he's right there. He can empathize when we go through trials and tribulations, when you're going through stuff. Remember it says in Hebrews chapter 12, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so you don't go weak and weary and lose heart. Because you have two choices when the, when the stuff gets, when you get tested. You're going to have to quit. You could quit, and many do. It says that in the Seed and Soils passage in Luke 8. Or you could say, you know what? I have an opportunity to experience God's power in my life and bring glory to God in the angelic conflict and be an overcomer that reigns with Christ. Because all those great saints that are going to be reigned with Christ in the church, the overcomers of Revelation 2 and 3, and the Old Testament saints like Daniel and, Jan and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and guys like that, they suffered it. They were, they were, their character was forged in the furnace of adversity. The people I admire most in life, who I look at, are the people who have had to overcome great things in life. There's a guy, I mentioned him before, he's Christian, he's from Australia. Got no arms and no legs. Got stumps. You've probably seen him. Here he hops up, he'd hop up in the thing and tell you and talk about and he give his testimony. And I have a flat tire and I'm freaking out. This guy doesn't have any arms and legs. What am I complaining about? Oh, I lost my job. I don't even like my job anyways. This guy has no arms and no legs. I don't think he has a girlfriend. And I don't think he's ever gonna get married unless you meet somebody like him. I don't know. So I mean, what kind of life that's gonna be? You know, you're hopping around, you're just a stump. And this guy, you would think he'd feel sorry for himself. No. What a testimony. It's easy to praise Jesus when everything's going well, right? We talked about that earlier. Things are going bad for this guy. Most people would say, I, I can't deal with that. I'm done with it. I'm ending it. Never should be like that. Everything's an opportunity. And you know what? You need, to pat, you need to use biblical meditation, being meditate upon on what you're saying. Give yourself your own advice. Would you give yourself the advice that you would give another that's going through what they're going through, that, you, that you're going through? Give them that advice. Take your own advice. Talk yourself through stuff. Some of you are going through difficult stuff. Health, job thing, whatever. Child problem, and it's just torture. It's really hard, okay? Here it is, guys. There's an opportunity. The angels and God know. The world doesn't know how great you really are in your character, in your, in your faithfulness to God, despite the adversities. So, we see, notice, that in bold statements, in Habakkuk, addresses God with that word, Yahweh, or as the Jews would say, because they wouldn't use the name of God in the Old Testament, Adonai. This is the 10th and 11th time in the book of Habakkuk that the, Lord, the word Adonai, Yahweh, has been employed by the prophet. Habakkuk 1.2, 1 
112 twice, 2 2, 2 13, 14, 16, 20, and now we have it, and Habakkuk 3 2. This we have noted many times in our study of Habakkuk is the covenant keeping personal name of God. And it's used in connection with his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel and in particular the remnant of Judah. Specifically, it's used in connection with Habakkuk's covenant relationship to God. Thus, it also expresses God's sovereignty over not only the nation of Israel or the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, but also it expresses his sovereignty over each and every nation on earth, which he will exercise bodily in Jerusalem during his millennial reign on planet earth. So this word also emphasizes Lord, Lord Almighty. It emphasizes the imminency of the Lord, meaning that he involves himself in and concerns himself with and intervenes in the affairs of, of the citizens of the kingdom of Judah. Application, significance to us, he's in our lives as well. In fact, he dwells us permanently. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27, the Son does. 4.6, Ephesians 4.4-4.6, Father does, Holy Spirit does, Romans 8.11, and many other passages I could give you. They personally indwell you permanently, and you'll have the, your basis of victory over sin and Satan's cosmic system already indwelling you. You've got the power of God in you. God loves you, he indwells you, and he's in your life. No, nothing, don't be like the pagans. Life, the things that happen in our lives are not done by accident or chance, but governed by the providence of God, a doctrine that the church has forgotten in America. The providence of God. He's in our lives. Nothing happens by accident or chance. You didn't lose the job by accident. It was, it was designed, with, people might do bad for you, might want to, and you shouldn't have gotten fired or you shouldn't have got laid off. In reality, God permitted them to do that because it was a part of his permissive will to let them do that to you in order to bring glory to himself. Just like the crucifixion of Christ, right? He allowed them to do these terrible things to, the uh, to his son, the father did. He was a part of the predetermined counsel of God. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The father knew that and the son knew that. And yet he still did it for us. God is a part of your life. He's involved in your life. He intimately cares about every single last one of you and every last hair on your head. Some of us don't have that anymore, but he still loves you no matter what. He knows you intimately and cares about you and your marriage and your family and your children and your job and your businesses, your country. He's involved in it. He's here. He's present. And that's when we should revere and worship him and be in stand in awe that God is in our presence. So I can walk out these doors today and then nothing's going to bother me. We're overwhelmingly conquerors. What does it say? You don't have to go there if you don't want, but I'm going to read it. Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. We'll look at... We'll look at uh, now, look at verse 28. Look at this. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. These he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? People can attack us, but they ain't going to win. The devil can attack us. He's not going to win. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what he's saying there? Hear it? Rejoice. Rejoice. 
Rejoice. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Whatever it gets tough. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for interceding for me. The Spirit, Romans 8, 26 and 27. When you can't pray, you've been so bad and you can't, you don't know what to say in prayer. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit's indwelling you with groans. Remember that passage, verse 34. Remember where I left off, okay? Look at verse 26 and 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's what he's doing for us now. We know what he did for us at the past and our justification. We know what he's going to do for us in the future. Resurrection body, rewards of faithful service, millennial reign, new heavens, new earth. What is he doing for us now? He's interceding for us. The Father is receiving prayer from the Son at his right hand and the, and the Holy Spirit who dwells us. Interceding for us. And we got his word. We're in a relationship with him. We're loved by God. We have the word of God that's alive and powerful. We have the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, and nothing can stand against it. Not even the devil. Jesus example, showed that example of the sword of the Spirit when he faced the devil right after his baptism. Luke 4. Submit to God, James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil and he'll flee you. You don't say, cast you out, Satan. He'd laugh at you. He won't laugh at you when you apply God's word in your life. Then he walks away, waiting for another more opportune time to attack you. So, verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one! Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No! Nothing! Everything bad in life that could happen to us could never separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him, Christ, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it kind of sounds, that's faith, that kind of sounds like what Habakkuk saying at the end of chapter 3. He's no matter what happens, no matter what it is, I'm going to rejoice. Paul's basically saying, rejoice and worship God. Because guess what? Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. None of these things that he enumerated to us, rejoice. He's in your life. He's working in your life. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. No matter how bad it gets, talk to me then. If you're thinking of quitting it, I'm not saying, you know, off with the thing, off, my, off with my head. No, I'm saying, if you're going through a tough time, and you, you know, hey, you can always talk to me. I have people who call from all around the world and email, like, hey, of course I'm going to talk to you. You know, you're my brother or my sister in Christ. I'm a pastor. This is what we do. You know, three o'clock in the morning, okay. I might gripe when I get the call, but I'm still going to take the call. You're my brother and sister in Christ. I love you. That's what Jesus would do for me. Okay? So, rejoice. 
God's in your life. He's imminent. He's sovereign over your life. We have the victory. We need to appropriate by faith the power of God that's in his word to experience that victory in time, the spiritual life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson be a blessing to your people and would encourage them, instruct them in righteousness, correct them, rebuke if necessary, exhort to grow to further spiritual maturity, become an invisible hero who has an invisible impact, not only on their homes and neighborhoods and their church, but also a national impact on their towns and their cities, and also an international impact, and also an angelic impact, as your servant Job and Paul uh, had that impact. So I just pray for this in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Now, I'd like to sing us a song. And my, my good friend, Pastor Peak, he uh, had a birthday, as we uh, sang to him a little while ago. He had a birthday yesterday. And so I would like to sing this song for him. If you'd like to sing this song with me, go ahead. Go for it. I saw the light. Maybe Bob, you know, Bob, uh, weekly come up and uh, do a little high-stepping. But he, he can sing from there, too. I just All right. Hopefully you enjoy it. I played this one, one time last year, I think, for his birthday. All right, here we go.
birthday. <laughs> <laughs>